We are now weeks removed from George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, which spawned a global outrage and protests on just about every continent. Weeks removed, and we continue to see and feel worldwide social unrest on social media. Weeks removed, and movements for action and change continue to pop up. Graphic videos and images that depict the racial injustice for Black men and women over 400 years continue to be shared in conversations while they continue to happen around the clock. But will we continue to see this kind of momentum in the months and years ahead? And with so much information posted and published every day, how do we separate truth from fiction to stay properly informed as we look ahead to do our personal best to change racial inequality and end police brutality, not just in America, but right here on Canadian soil? Today, we speak with pop culture connoisseur and host of the One Last Thing podcast, Alexandra Nikolaev, to assess the current state of Black Lives Matter on social media and beyond. Well, Alex, I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you, especially because I have been following you very closely. Not you in general physically, because that, that'd be a little creepy, but on social media, because, well, first of all, you've always been super active with everything that you post, but everything that you have post, I'd say up until May 25th largely around entertainment, reality TV, and celebrities. And we've seen you kind of make a quick pivot to reflect what's been going on out there. So before we get into that, I just want to know, how have you been doing? It's been a different few weeks for me, I think, compounded by everything happening with COVID and being in quarantine, to then learn and see what's going on in the world. Last week, I think I was really emotional. I was really tired. I took some time to myself this weekend and I'm trying to be better about practicing that self-care. So I'm feeling good now. I self-care in different ways. I like plan. I come up with some, you know, action and things that I can do. So I feel like that gives me a sense of control. So now I'm hitting the ground running this week. That's actually really good to hear because obviously it's been been a tough time. It's been a heavy time, whether you are really fighting in the Black community for equality or you are an ally. And for you personally, let's get back into the pivoting because we've seen some different content for you on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram in particular. And you have been really going full throttle, being one of the leading voices in, I'd say, Toronto, in Canada, that's really sharing the facts and sharing your opinions very openly. How has that been going so far from switching gears, essentially? It's been interesting from like an introspective perspective, because I feel like I have, you know, this small platform that I have online through my social channels. And as I was watching everything happening last week, I I just felt so compelled. I was like, you know what, I might not reach hundreds of thousands of people, but with what small platform I have, I feel that there is such an importance to be talking about this. And like, yes, I talk about celebrities and I talk about pop culture and reality TV, but what's happening right now is all encompassing, you know, everything else doesn't matter while we're talking about this. And so for me, the pivot personally wasn't as difficult because I just felt that there was such a need to be talking about this. I think maybe my audience and some of my followers and some of the followers I lost might think differently. But for me, the pivot was a no brainer. I need to talk about this. We need to all be talking about this. So Alex, what's a little bit disheartening in in many respects is that I'm a big sports fan. I'm thinking back to 2014 when LeBron James before a game was wearing an I Can't Breathe t-shirt six years ago. And obviously these are 
systemic issues that have gone on for decades and decades. But it does seem like right now something is different, that there's there's more force behind this. I don't know if it's because perhaps protesters in the midst of a pandemic don't have to go to work the next day. So there's more people out. There's more energy. I think there's a whole variety of different reasons, plus just the general kind of disgust that everybody has felt towards what's happened here. But does this feel different to you? And if so, why? The one thing I kept hearing last week was, and I felt too, admittedly, I felt it. I was so shocked. I was so upset. I couldn't believe my eyes watching this video of George Floyd. And I think that it's twofold in the sense that number one, this is not surprising for people in the Black community in Canada or the US. You know, this is not surprising at all. So, you know, I was upset that I didn't realize that this shouldn't be surprising. So there's kind of that where it was a big wake up call for me. And I would think that for other people, as they continue to see more, learn more and hear more, they realize, oh, we shouldn't be shocked. This is happening so frequently. So I think that was a big wake up call for people. And I think the second thing is that people are at home, you know, we're in quarantine, people are glued to their televisions, and they're not required to be at their job if they can work from home. So they possibly have the television on. And everything is recorded on camera, everything is being captured. And so when you're just getting this influx of content, and it's right in your face, you can't escape it by, you know, leaving the house, you can't escape it because it's on every single media outlet you're going to start to look at it and you have to address it. And from there, I think people felt strength and they felt like they wanted to speak up, take action and do something about it. According to uh, Statista.com, which is a statistics driven platform, they say that about three billion people are currently using social media every single day, which obviously doesn't come as a surprise. So we have that many people that are using social media platforms, not only to consume content, but obviously to share that content. It's going to go around like crazy when huge news such as George Floyd's death and the matter in which it was executed happens. But what surprises me is that on the end of February, when Ahmad Aubrey died when he was killed for taking a jog. We didn't see the level of anger, the level of sadness and the rage from the mainstream public, from media outlets like we have now. Do you think that we were just waiting for another event to occur to say, that's it, we've had enough? I think two things, you know, for me, when I found out about Ahmaud Arbery, that was a huge tipping point for me. I remember that was one of the first times I addressed something like that in my Instagram stories. It really upset me. It bothered me. I started looking into what happened. And that was when I really started to feel this pivot internally and emotionally. And then I think with George Floyd, what happened was I truly just think more people saw that video, whether they went back and saw Ahmaud Arbery's video after. I think with George Floyd, just the way that it was covered and the fact that it involved the police was one of the main differentiators versus Ahmad Arbery. I saw you touch upon that in February when it all happened with Ahmad. But just going back to what you had said earlier about losing followers, we've kind of seen this too with a lot of creators out there. Once they started taking a political stance, which for many of them, it's the first time we ever saw them actually do that so publicly, they saw a dip in their followers. And I think that's actually an interesting conversation to have because it almost seems like nowadays with politics or anything that you don't normally speak about, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you don't speak up, especially as a public figure, 
or a brand or a business out there, you look bad. You do. You get a lot of negative press around that. But if you do speak up, then you lose the followers. You you lose your audience. And uh, some people actually have a problem with that. Others don't. Do you find that there's a fine line that you have to walk when it comes to what you're actually putting out there on a day-to-day basis? I think definitely at first, it's funny that I posted a tweet of mine saying, you know, I lost followers originally when I started really talking about this and becoming extremely vocal on my social. I lost followers on Instagram and on Twitter. And so, you know, I know people are kind of like, where are the memes? Where are the tweets? But as more information came to this light, like there's a bigger story here. And I think for me personally, what happened was I kind of said, this goes beyond like what my social media is supposed to be about, quote unquote, like this needs to be explored. This needs to be addressed. And I come back to the fact that let's say I lose X amount of followers, but there's still Y amount of followers that are there who want to listen, learn, who are engaging with me in the DMs, like who are being supportive, who are asking for more resources, who are challenging me. That is what I want to get out of my social media. And that is where I feel I can make an impact. So while it's difficult and it was scary, I think it goes back to the need to be having these uncomfortable conversations and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations because we need to grow. Like The state of our world needs to emotionally grow and be better. And so it went beyond if I lost followers or if they liked what I was talking about. So on the topic of sort of change and change in habits and, you know, how people have reacted to this. One thing that kind of seems to be clear as well is that I guess, number one, this has now been two straight weeks where there have been consistent protests throughout the United States and obviously many other parts of the world all over. If you look out at the crowds, you'll scroll through Twitter or you watch the news, you'll see crowds. And it's kind of interesting. You'll see people of all different ethnicities, all different ages. And that's kind of different than what has happened in many different protests throughout history. Traditionally, protests have been sort of, you know, led by the disenfranchised, the people that are struggling under whatever oppression they're facing. In this particular instance, it really does seem like there are people from all walks of life that are getting behind this and demanding accountability and change. I'm wondering if you're seeing the same thing, and if so, what type of outcomes that might yield? I think that it's a couple of things, you know. I think we are seeing people be raw and in their realist form of self, both online and in person with the conversations that they're having with family members, friends, coworkers. You know, to your point, it might not be directly impacting them, but they're starting to understand that this impacts all of us, whether it's in doing the work toward becoming anti-racist or if it's you know, somebody who is directly affected by this and impacted in their community. So I echo that sentiment. I've seen people from all walks of life, you know, message me, want to get involved. I've seen them, you know, talk about being out at protests here in Toronto. I think that we all just realize that this is not a racial issue. This is a human issue. And it's something that the only way it's going to improve is if as a collective, we say this needs to be better. I love following your content and especially chatting with you now because you feel the passion and the purpose behind what you're doing. And that's why we're excited to talk to you about it today. With social media, I think the challenging thing is not just in this scenario, but overall is that when something comes to light, a global crisis like this racial inequality 
that's been going on for 400 years. When people are actually taking the time now to learn about this because of a tragic event that took place, we're going to see an influx of opinions that can be misconstrued and translated into facts, which can be very confusing when you're on social media all day, every day. How do you think we can do a better job at separating the truth from fiction on social media? There's a few ways I think that we have to approach this as a collective as well. I think I'll use the example of myself on social. I was sent a lot of articles, a lot of things from people as I started sharing who wanted to share either things they found useful, things that they felt, you know, proved or their point or disproved mine. And so I think it's really first and foremost about saying, I want to be better. And a part of that starts with actually reading, reading it all, understanding what is actually true. You can start to read some of these articles and see like, oh, this is really more slanted or opinionated this way. And then there's other articles that it very quickly, you understand that this is fact over fiction. And so I definitely wanted to read a lot. And like, I made the mistake early on, you know, with posting the black box and not fully understanding what it meant. And I went back and I ended up erasing it and shared why I did that and really started doing my homework before I posted anything, because I realized that it's not just about sharing at volume. I need to consume at a different volume than I'm putting out. We all need to really just take the time to learn. If we want to be better, we need to take the time to do better. And we have to educate ourselves. We have to understand where fact and fiction are separate. And a part of that comes from consuming both of that content and understanding how to identify the difference. So Alex, obviously, so much of this revolves around the United States, but it's been interesting to see the dialogue in Canada as well. There's sort of a, a political... A gentleman named Stockwell Day, a former politician in Canada, who is a political talking head, essentially, on CBC. He made some comments about how racism doesn't exist in Canada and that he kind of equated it to how he was bullied for wearing glasses in school. And he ended up stepping down and receiving a lot of backlash. There was Rex Murphy, who's been uh, a pretty notable political scientist who wrote a column in, I believe it was the National Post, if I recall correctly basically saying that the liberals are wrong and saying that racism is systemic in this country and that, you know, it's more of an American thing or it exists in the world and perhaps even in Canada, but certainly not to the same degree and that it's not such a problem here. And, and again, he received quite a bit of backlash from that, especially two white men that are much older making that claim. It didn't go over all that well. So I'm curious to get your take on this. The majority of the news coverage related to these issues is taking place in the United States, but there's certainly plenty in our own backyard. So how do you feel about Canada as a country when it comes to systemic racism? It's hard because obviously what we see and the media we consume is so US heavy that a lot of the times we think like, oh, that's happening over there. It's not here. But, you know, I would bring up the example. There was an indigenous woman who was murdered in New Brunswick, I believe, by the police during a wellness check. I believe that happened last week as well. So I think it's just taking a moment to say we are being distracted and we're consuming content from the U.S. And obviously we're seeing that en masse and at such a high volume. But that is not to say that if we don't turn the lens to Canada, those issues are not happening right here in our own front yard. I use that example just to say that it's something timely, it's relevant, and 
if we're not also educating ourselves what's happening in Canada, we're not doing a good enough job towards working towards bettering ourselves and bettering our country. Because really, we often hear the phrase of, you know, well, that doesn't happen here. It's not like that here. You know, we're just like America's nice aunt of the North. Like it's not, it's happening here. And maybe it's less frequent or less visible, but it's happening here. And we need to also understand that the choices we make and the way that we're educating ourselves has to impact us right at home. It's very well said. In terms of education, what are some of the resources and platforms that you've been using? I'd be interested to know, and I'm sure a lot of listeners would love to hop on the same platforms to get the information that they need, essentially. I've been listening and going off of content of a lot of Black creators. Trevor Noah is doing a great job of sharing content on his social media, specifically Instagram and Twitter, of different resources that he's finding that I have found to be really helpful. I've also been, I don't know if you're familiar with the show by John Oliver. I think it's called like Last Week's News Tonight. I can't remember the name of the show. It's kind of a longer show, but he's done a really good job of covering this over the last week as well. And honestly, I've been watching and listening to the anchors on E Daily Pop and E Nightly Pop. So it's Nina Parker. She is an anchor on like the E News channel. It's like a day talk show and a night talk show. But the way that she has been speaking and the way that she has been sharing her own personal experience and leveraging that into educating all week, I've been saying, like, don't watch CNN, don't watch Fox News, watch like E! Nightly Pop, because this is where you're going to get a firsthand real understanding of what's going on, what you can do and how you can help. You know, everybody's sort of educating themselves and understanding the history of this and understanding why racism exists. I've always been fascinated in American history, and I don't think there's ever been sort of the same force of sustained protest as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, like two straight weeks, coast to coast, every city, millions of people. It's been something else to just see the momentum behind this. I think the closest thing, obviously this is well before any of our times, but the closest thing that I can recall just from reading or watching documentaries or biographies or whatnot would be during the 60s in the United States. There was obviously quite a lot of civil unrest I think Martin Luther King would be widely viewed as one of the main pillars of the movement. And he died on April 4th, 1968. Riots ensued. And on April 11th, just six days later, the Civil Rights Act was enacted. It kind of went to show that when that many people get behind something, change is made. And so now if we fast forward, whatever this is now, I guess sort of 50 years almost into the future, do you anticipate major change coming from this? Do you anticipate that things will be different in two years, five years, dramatically different in 10 years? I am absolutely hopeful. You know, one of the things I heard last week was somebody saying, well, what's all this for? Why are they doing this in America? You know, what's the intent here in Canada? And I know in America, their main goal is they want to defund the police in different states. And essentially, whether it's putting that money back into education or understanding how much money the police departments in each individual township, city, state, et cetera, are getting, that's sort of the main objective and goal in the U.S. And I think that that's being also communicated here. And I think on top of that, what we're starting to see in the short term are different brands. People in the celebrity eye are really being called out and they're being acknowledged at 
not doing a very good job of inclusivity and diversity within their workplaces. And I think at the very core level, these brands and these people, and if you are somebody that is in, you know, a high power position, you're going to be held to a different lens than you maybe were, you know, a month ago. And I think that that will only intensify in the next one year, two years, five years, as people find their voice, they realize this is something that can actually impact change. A movement is happening and we're going to start to see people have to be better or else, you know, their time will be up. I mean, throughout all this, we're seeing that the people have more power now than governing bodies, than police departments, because people are actually just taking the responsibility into their own hands to make a difference, which is so exciting to see. I mean, you know, pull up for chain challenge. Kylie Cosmetics just came out with a full list of breaking down the percentages of black women who work for her POCs and and white women. And so, like you said, a lot of these brands and businesses are being held accountable, whether they like it or not. But moving forward in the big picture, how do we keep the momentum going? You know, we're seeing a lot of creators, a lot of people with powerful voices, encouraging everyone to continue speaking their truth, taking a stance, sharing that information until we see a tangible change, which I think would take some time. But how do we keep the momentum going? Back to doing the work on the ground in the community that you have access to and you're able to impact change. So whether that's having uncomfortable conversations and continuing to have them, um, whether that's in your workplace, ensuring that you're maintaining this open dialogue and setting goals around what you hope to achieve and accomplish to bring awareness to Black people, people of color, a diverse roster. I'm, I'm thinking about this from my work in the creator space. I think that it really starts grassroots and having somebody in each of your communities continuing to champion these conversations, turn conversation into action and actually implement and execute on change. That's the only way we're going to continue to see growth. In addition to that, it also falls on people in the public eye or public image or brands continuing to say, this is important to us. We want to remain a voice for the Black community. We want to remain a voice for diversity and inclusion in our workplace and continue to be vocal about it. It's because when people stop talking about it, it's when we're going to forget about it. And that's where we don't want to go. So Alex, on the topic of kind of where we might want to go. So there's a lot of debate about that right now. You mentioned just a little bit earlier, the idea that certain states in the United States are talking about basically pulling the money away from the police because you know, the rot is so deep, they couldn't rebuild it on this faulty foundation. You got to start from scratch. And at the same time, to some extent, people need the police. If there's a problem, you need somebody to call. There would need to be some alternative system in place. And so that's one example. But when you think of how race relations and racism exists and creates issues in housing, in education, in healthcare, in access to food and information, access to credit to start a business. Look up and down the list of areas of life and you'll find that it pretty much ticks every single box. So it becomes a really daunting and complex challenge to unravel and figure out because there's just so much. Um, from your perspective, do you think that there is anything that can be done either at the individual level or bigger picture thinking at the government level that might be at least some initial steps forward so that there can be some momentum built to tackle all of these different things. 
I absolutely agree. This is what people are hoping for. And the long-term objective of this is much greater than the steps that it's going to take to get there. I think at an individual level, one of the most important things that you can do is feel empowered and start to understand how to approach conversations as they come up again, because you know that conversations will come up where people will say something inappropriate or offside and feeling empowered to acknowledge that and educate somebody and say, that's not how you respond to this situation or, you know, you don't say that. And I think that at an individual level, that's going to be the work that we all need to do to make everybody equal because there's just got to be a zero tolerance for, you know, whether it's meant to be a joke or somebody's asking something that is offensive, but they're like, oh, well, I'm not racist, so it's not offensive. Those are the types of like uncomfortable situations we're going to have to continue to live through and feel empowered to be vocal in on an individual level to be able to have actual change start to occur within each individual person. One of the conversations I had with a friend of mine, and I will be completely candid and say this, is I need to better understand how the Canadian government works so that when I'm voting, when I'm making decisions, I'm understanding what I'm actually impacting with those choices that I'm making. And I don't think I'm alone in that, but I'm happy to own that I am at fault for not having, you know, even a better understanding of what it means to vote at a municipal level, what it means to vote at the provincial and federal level and understanding, you know, whether it's each candidate, what they're hoping to champion, like understanding who they are and what they're pushing for and understanding that at the different levels of government to be able to impact those decisions as a public voter. I want to go back quickly to what you're saying about tolerance, because just hearing that, I'm thinking, well, what about the comedians out there who've actually made a career in poking fun at different races, stereotypes, and and making a very, very lucrative career out of it? The first person that comes to mind is Russell Peters, for example. And so given the times that we're in, when this is such a serious issue that we really, not a single one of us can just rush off to the wayside after this. It's not, it's our duty to really keep up with this and be a part of the momentum. I do wonder what's going to happen with their careers and how their shticks that have been working for so long will actually be taken in light of all this. I agree. I think that's something I'm curious to watch and understand as well, because you bring up the example of Russell Peters, And I'm not super familiar with his catalog, but I know a lot of what he made fun of or made jokes about was his own culture versus somebody like a Lily Singh, who recently was called out because the videos she was making or the lyrics she was singing and rapping in some of her videos were culturally appropriating Black culture and she's not Black. So there was huge backlash there. So I think that's sort of what I'm curious to understand as well on my end is it's just like, when is it okay? When is it not okay? What are the boundaries? What lines, like where are they blurred? Like these are the things that we need to sort of continue to understand and identify. And I think until we do, it's kind of like everybody needs to respect everybody else and respect the situation. And I think that's challenging for a comedian, you know, it's their job. That is a really good point, though. I, I do think it's it's such a gray area in a sense. It is kind of a wait and see game. But I think 
everyone understands the climate and especially celebrities, I would assume, are taking this seriously and acting delicately, which they should be. But keeping in line with comedians, I mean, you're a comedian in a way. You're hilarious. During times like these with COVID too, it's been a heavy year. How do you find levity in dark times or how will you in the week's months moving forward. Last week was obviously incredibly delicate and in the last two weeks. And I think that, you know, personally, I didn't want to use humor in conversations I was having. It didn't feel right. And I feel very fortunate that the online persona that I've curated is just like, if I can simply say this doesn't feel right to do this this week, I want to focus on this. And that's just like a part of my online personality and the community that I've built hopefully can understand my honesty and It can be as simple as saying this doesn't feel like the time to be funny. I know as the week continued on last week, there were things that I shared that, you know, were humorous. Like I shared a tweet by another comic about wearing fedoras for freedom on a certain day. And it kind of snowballed into this entire movement. And we actually, the comic and myself used it. And we ended up saying, okay, this many people actually shared photos in their fedoras, which is so silly, but it snowballed and it turned into an online movement that. We then said, okay, we're both going to donate money to our respective charities because if this was something that we were raising funds for, people, you know, came to the table, they did the work, everybody got a good laugh out of it. It was a way to bring some light in a really dark week. And it was also a way for me to partner with a black comedian, showcase content on my channel and create positive impact with a little bit of lighthearted humor. So I definitely think that you have to be very cautious. It's extremely delicate, but Also, at times, you know, humor can be helpful. And I think it's important that we don't forget that either, is that it's a form of therapy. It's a way to release tension and thinking about being cautious and conscientious of what's going on in our world, but also understanding that there needs to be some lighthearted humor peppered in there. So I think at least on my channel, I can't say that it's going to be exactly the same as it was before. I just think, you know, especially right now, I'm seeing things so differently, but I hope that, you know, as I adapt my content and the conversations that we have and the humor that I bring to the table will just continue to resonate with people because I think we need it. Definitely need it. You know, at some point, people are going to want to laugh again at some point. This is uh, actually my last question for you, which is just something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the irony and the hypocrisy of this situation. Look at the music scene, R&B, hip hop, rap, jazz. If you watch any music award show, best album, best artist, best song, it's almost all completely influenced by black culture. If you're looking at the food scene, if you're looking at fashion, if you're looking at the world's most popular entertainers, whether it be athletes or actors, it's so largely influenced by black culture. So how can it be the entire world, everyone gathers their entertainment and what influences culture and entertainment is so directly tied to black culture. It's so widely enjoyed. And yet at the same time, that racism can exist in that form. How can those two things coexist at the same time? I kept coming back to how am I going to talk about this? The most important thing for me was to not try and talk about everything and find areas that I could focus on that would resonate with my audience while we're all learning. And one of the ways that I thought about doing that, I said, you know, I obviously speak about pop culture. So we can look at different comedians in the black community, movies in the black community, TV shows, artists, things like that. And I was just like, pop culture is black culture. But I think the issue is that so many 
artists, and this again also goes years and years back from like the music industry to blackface in film, like so many artists want to leverage the talent and the culture from the black community, but people didn't want to see it from black people. It's like how the Kardashians, people think they invented boxer braids. Well, no, those are cornrows. And that has been a hairstyle in the black community for so long. And it's just like this cultural appropriation is really what it comes down to, where it's okay because a white person is doing it when really it's something that stems from black culture. And I think what's important for someone like me to do, who does cover pop culture in the core of my content, is to start to not shy away from highlighting that and not shy away from, oh, you think this is new and cool and whatever, or this sound or this dance, like it actually came from here. And that's a part of the work that I can do. And I'm fortunate to, you know, want to learn and be able to bring to people because we just need voices. There's strength in numbers. And I think that that's where we have to see the shift. And I think it's always coexisted because people felt more comfortable with white people, you know, doing these things. But we need to have people be aware that it came from Black culture. I definitely agree with you. We need to have these continuous leading voices that gives us the education and the entertainment to kind of see the messaging in a different light, which is what you do so, so well. So I really hope, Alex, that you don't stop what you're doing because you're so good at it. I think that this has been really eye-opening for me. And I'm just like, there's so much more to the conversation from a pop culture and a cultural perspective than you know, the reality TV, that'll still be there, but there's so much more. Absolutely. And as the conversation continues to grow, production start ramping up again. When we enter phase two, phase three, we'll see where things are headed in the next year. But um, when productions pick up again, it'd be interesting to see how many black stories, how many black faces we'll actually see on the screen again. Where the accountability has to come in, right? Everybody can talk the talk now, but they have to start walking the walk. And it's people like us in these conversations that we have those checks and balances and people call them out because that's the only way things are going to change. And I think a lot of these people don't expect to be called out because they never have been. Listen, new times calls for uh, new measures. So I think this is a good thing. Alex, we can't thank you enough for joining us and being so candid. It was a really great conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. And we'll be keeping up with your jokes, your entertainment, and all the education. So keep doing you, girl. Oh, thank you so much. Take care. 